All right, open your Bibles back up to Matthew chapter 5. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate you singing, always. Good job, my man. Yeah. <laughs> I know, that's probably not the most reverent thing you've ever seen people do in a pulpit. But I am not the most reverent of human beings, trust me, when it comes to some things like that. I think some of the most irreverent things we can do is to be in the presence of God and not enjoy it. What do you think? I mean, seriously, to be so spiritually constipated that we never actually enjoy life. You know what I mean? Come on, guys. Turn to your neighbor and just say, hey, listen, guys, lighten up. Enjoy. Smile. Tell them that right now. Come on. That's exactly right. We need to, we need to enjoy our Christian life. We need to do that, don't we? Well, what I want to do today is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read back through the Scripture here in just a minute. But before I do that, I want to I I give you a different perspective of this. I read that a few minutes ago from the Welsh Revival. And I want you to catch this. If you're on your phone, put your phone up, everything. Give me your attention. I want, I want you to hear this, okay? And, and I'm reading from a book called Firefall that my mentor uh, helped write. And, and I teach a seminar on, uh, uh, on this. And so what I wanted to do is just kind of give you a little insight of, of what it's supposed to be. What had happened in Wales was Wales was much like America. And Wales today, by the way, is the churches are as dry and as dead and as gone as you can imagine. I don't know if you know this or not, but in the last 20, 15, 20 years, about 2,000 churches a year have shut their doors in America. We're, we're getting a smidgen of those started back. I mean, in other words, when you look at 10 years, that's 25,000 congregations that are gone. You say, well... I don't see that. It's, it's happening all over the United States, guys. It's happening. We don't realize it because we're too prideful to admit it. But do you know the world realizes that America is in desperate need of Christ? Listen to this, guys. Did you know that we are the third most missionized nation in the world? That means most nations that we send missionaries to now send more missionaries to us than we do to them. Did you know that? Anybody know that? Why? But see, here we are as prideful Americans because we do have most of the, the finances when it comes to that. But we don't want to admit where we are spiritually. Guys, we are a dry nation. We're a dry nation and we're hurting. If you want to know why our nation's where it is, it's because that's where we are spiritually. Look at me. The church has to stand up. The church has to stand up. What happened in Wells was Evan Roberts was a coal miner, starting at 15 years old, he began to pray for 11 years faithfully that God would bring revival to Wales. He was 26 years old. He came back from a revival himself. And what had happened was he got on his face before God. And he, at that revival, and he began to, to cry out, God, bend me. Do we have any hard-headed people in this place? Yeah. <clears throat> Some of you over here, over there, I already know you guys. You're not raising your hand. You're going to commit the sin of lying here in a minute if you don't. So, any hard-headed people in this place, yes or no? Yes. All right, good, good. So, when he's saying, bend me, what he's saying is, look how hard we have become in our own ways, regardless if they're ways of God or not, they're our ways, and we would rather follow our ways than God's ways. So what he did was he laid down before the, that, that night, that revival, and said, God, bend me. 
And then the next night, he went back to his church. They had a Monday night business meeting. True story. Monday night business meeting. His pastor let him go up before those people and say, this is what happened. I'd like to talk to you about it more. Only 17 of the adults stayed to listen to him. And that night, he realized that the movement of God for the nation would probably start with the young people, you guys. Because they can still be willing to listen. Now, what ended up happening was they began to pray. and Literally 100,000 people in six months were saved in Wales. I want to read this to you. This, was, this came from an a article in the newspaper. Get Listen to what I'm reading in the newspaper. It says, how very cold and formal the prayers of the church have been for many years. But for the last four months, there's been, have been everywhere a marked change. The prayers have been boiling. And whole multitudes have been thrown into a state of extraordinary fervor for God. It rejoices me to see the rising generation boiling with great enthusiasm in the service of Christ. The mark of the boiling will be on them as long as they live. None are the same after the boiling as before. Hundreds of our young men and women have been brought up religiously in a home and the church, but the religion was cold, formal, and with in following routine. Behold the difference. Now our young people flock to the services. Prayers flow spontaneously from their lips like water from a spring. Praise ascends to heaven like the carol of the birds in the spring. All the chapels are crowded, and the valleys and the mountains ring with praise. Gamblers refuse money won with bets made before conversion. Prize fighters are now soul winners. Enemies are made friends. Scores of pages can be filled with a striking conversion as in any of the annals of Christian church in all of history. Does that not sound like who we are? I want to talk to the adults here for a minute. It's time we stand up and start acting like we believe in Jesus. It's the truth. These guys are our future. You know why I love teaching 20-something thousand college students over the last 10 years? Because they are willing to be bent. For three years in a row, I had kids raise over raise $60,000 to go to the Philippines just to share the gospel and lead people to Christ. And we, we are worried about stains on the carpet. Listen to me, Rocky Mount Baptist Church. I believe with all my heart, everything that is within me, that God wants to do some amazing things through this body. But we are going to have to get outside of our comfort zones and surrender to his will, not ours. You can blame the educational system. You can blame the government. You can blame everything you want. I've heard people blame the fact that they took prayer out of school some 50 years ago. But you know what's so amazing about that? I want you to think about this. They took prayer out of schools, but did they take students out of school? Yes or no? So why is our Christian students who have the 
right not taking the gospel back to their schools because they're not seeing our adults do it. God's prayer never left school. Trust me, as long as there are exams, there will always be prayer. So let me read this to you. The Beatitudes simply says this. When he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain. And after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach them, saying, the poor in spirit are blessed. Remember, we talked about that last week, what it meant to be poor in spirit. It means, means to lose everything, to be desolate, to give ourselves up, to willingly become poor. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who mourn to literally, within, inside out, once we are poor, we begin to feel the stain and, the, and the, 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 the sense of what sin really does to us and to the world. We mourn and they will be comforted, his, he promises. The gentle or the meek are blessed for they will inherit the earth. Because what he is saying is, it is it, we need to do this in control of letting the Holy Spirit lead through us. I'm reminded when I read that, it's literally on one side, there's this, there's this strength of going over here, and on the other side, there's this control, and it comes in the middle, and I'm reminded of the Proverbs, the writer of Proverbs who says, keep your eyes straight forward and never turn it away. In other words, keep your eyes on the prize of Christ. And then he comes to those who will inherit, those who will hunger and thirst or righteousness are blessed, for they will be filled the merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. The pure in heart will be blessed, for they will see God. The peacemakers are blessed, for they will be called the sons of God. And those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Hmm. I'm going to go back. Bring up the next slide, if you will. I'm going to go back to the hunger and thirsting. We didn't talk about that much last week. Then I'm going to finish this up today in the next few minutes. What does it mean to hunger and thirst after righteousness. I remember in, in, in Texas having 80 something days in a row where we did not have rain anywhere around. We had cracks in our soil and people's foundations were pulled apart. The church I used to pastor had a big gymnasium and because the cracks in the soil, it pulled the flooring apart because that's what happens when it is parched. And when you know what it means to hunger and thirst, the sad part about it is that in America, we don't know what it means to really be hungry. And we don't know what it really means to be thirsty. Because we have water fountains around that have fairly pure water. And we have people who are willing to feed us. There's many people across the world, and the reason why the gospel is spreading in so many other nations is because they understand they're desperate. They're desolate. They're hungry. John Piper said, states God has put eternity in our hearts and we have an inconsolable longing. Blaise Pascal said that, that we all have a God-shaped void in our lives. All men are hungry and thirsty. The problem is that we try to fill it with emptiness, that hunger with things other than righteousness of God. We try to fill it with drugs, alcohol, religion. I think the biggest death knell of the church is we try to fill everything with religion. We show up on Sunday morning and we think we've done our duty. But yet we don't seek God all week. Do we really hunger 
and thirst after him. The next was the merciful are blessed are blessed, and they shall be shown mercy. Remember last week I talked about what it means to be blessed. It's not a past tense. It is that you, as a, as a merciful person, you be blessed. You are, in other words, it's, it's in a present. It's saying this is who you should be. You are to be merciful. To be merciful is to show forgiveness and compassion for those in need. Jesus spoke about that a lot. He did that in the Lord's Prayer. We are blessed if we are merciful because mercy is something that God displays for us. Come on, guys, think about this. What do we really deserve? We deserve death and hell and eternal separation from God. Look at me. What did we get from Jesus? What did we get from him? We got forgiveness. We got love. We got compassion. He's asking us to simply live out what he has already shown us to be merciful with others, to be merciful. I will be honest with you, there's a spiritual gift of mercy the scripture tells us, my wife has it, and I don't. It is not my strongest thing, but I've been married to my wife for 33 years, I'm much more merciful now than I was 33 years ago. It's the truth. You know what I mean, I, I, seriously, we stand in line at the, at the grocery store, it's one of those things, do you ever do this? You stand in line at the grocery store and the people in front of you get to talking with the guy that's checking everybody out and you, you don't want to say any, you, you just, I mean, you're in a hurry, you want to get out of there and they just keep talking and they're there like that. So, you know, what I, what I do is I get really close to the guy so he can kind of know that I'm, I'm saying, move on, you know. Anybody else like me? Yeah, that's me. Here's what my wife does. She grabs hold of my shirt, my arm, and everything else. She, she says, get back here. You're in his space. But honey, you won't move. Just be patient. I don't want to be patient. <gasps> my wife is merciful. It's, it's amazing. Mercy drives us to forgive. Look at me. How many of you are under bondage to people you've refused to forgive? How many of you are under bondage to past issues that you've refused to put away? But they deserve it. No, if we got what we deserve, we wouldn't be here this morning because there would be no hope. We are to give others the same mercy that God gave us. Blessed are the merciful. And by the way, I want you to notice the progression, the poor, the mourning, it goes in the state. We can't understand mercy unless we understand we really hurt over what other people feel and sense, that empathetic idea. We can't do any of that unless we hunger and thirst after righteousness because it is God who flows through us. Mm. Mercy. Mercy. We are blessed, are we not? We are blessed. The next one, the pure in heart are blessed. In other words, if you are mine, you will be pure. What does that word mean? It's used 27 times in the New Testament. Fundamentally, it signifies that which is clean or free from contaminating substance. The term literally means, for instance, to clean a cloth. It's the same word that was used in reference to the cloth that was clean, that was used on Jesus' body that he was wrapped in with his death. In the gospel accounts of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, 
the word employed in a ceremonial sense, this is one commentator, a ceremonial sense of purification from leprosy. It, can, it also can apply to the release of certain unfortunate individuals from unclean spirits like demons to become clean. Think about this. I love what William Barclay says here. He said, he, con- he contended that the spiritual import of pure may describe the heart that is free from unadulterated motives. What does he say? The merciful are blessed, for they shall be shown mercy. The pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. What does it mean to be pure in heart? We'll stop here for a moment. And come out here with you guys and hold hands with you guys for a moment, if you don't mind. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Let's think about that for a second. God is not passive aggressive. He does not say one thing to one person and another thing to another. God does not set us up for failure by the words that he gives. He actually gives us things that he wants to help us with. It's what he does. We need to understand this. What does it mean when, he, when he's saying this to be pure in heart? He's talking about motives. I challenged you guys about a month ago to read, read through the Gospel of John at night and read through Proverbs every morning. I don't know how many of you did that, but I would challenge you to do that again. Because the book of Proverbs talks not just about actions. It talks about the reason why we do those actions. That's called motives. Look at me. Just because you do the right thing doesn't fly with God. Just because we do the right thing. Because what God is looking at is the depth of our soul. Why do we do that? Are we doing that so we can manipulate somebody else, get what we want? Do we have impure motives? Are we doing that only because we have to, not because we want? Come on, guys, come on, look, look, look at Jonah. Look, look what happened with him. He finally went back to Nineveh and preached. And then he got mad at God because why? Because God brought mercy on the people there because they repented of their sin. And then he spends a couple more chapters, you know, getting angry at God because God did this. He went back and spoke, yes, and God used what he spoke. But his motives were impure. And by the way, who suffered from those impure motives? Do the people of Nineveh? No, he did. Look at me. Guys, one day we are going to stand before God and it will be revealed who we really are on the inside. To be pure in heart means we're hiding nothing. Nothing. Some of us have a secret life on the internet. We have a secret life on our phones. We have a secret life that maybe no one else knows. And we've rationalized. It's okay for us to do that because that is, you know, that's, that's not going to hurt anybody else, but it does. Anything that calluses your mind puts layers between you and God and gives Satan free will to do whatever he wants to is, in your life is wrong. And let me tell you something. The further we draw away from God, the more susceptible we come to falling. Our motives must be pure. If I tell my wife I love her only because I love you, sweetheart, and when I'm, I keep saying it over and over again, so she finally says, well, what, okay, what can I do for you? Well, uh, here's what I want, honey. I want some meatloaf and some 
you know, green potatoes and some peas and all that kind of stuff. I mean, even, no, I love my wife whether she can cook or not. And by the way, she can cook. Very good. We're beans and tater people. How about y'all? Cornbread. Had it yesterday. Watched Tennessee get beat. Bad day. <laughs> Let me say this to you. Look at me, all of you. Please understand this. It is not just what we do. It is why we do it. That's the difference of the Old Testament religion of simply going to a place and laying down an offering. And in the New Testament, the veil of the temple being torn asunder. And then we become the church. And the gospel is not something we speak. It is who we are. We share in Christ in all that he did. That's why he says greater things you will do than I have done in my power. He left himself in us. The New Testament is totally about us becoming the conduit of Christ even to our motives. Let me say this to you. Zach will tell you that when I mentor these guys, even my guys who work with me, I don't, I, I tell them exactly what I'm feeling, don't I? Exactly what I'm thinking. Sometimes it hurts. And I'll challenge them. I'll say, y'all know why you're doing that. You're doing that because you're too insecure. You're scared. You're, this is what's going on. Well, you're being mean. No, I'm not. I'm being truthful. Being honest. Because what does the Bible say about the truth? What does it say? Someone, right now, I'll give you 20 extra points on your next final. Oh, I'm not in class, am I? Okay. Um, what does it say about the truth? What does the Bible say? The Bible says the truth will do what? Tell your neighbor. Ask your neighbor, do you want to be set free? Ask him. Ask him. Do you want to be set free? Tell your neighbor, Jesus can set you free. But it starts with honesty and the depth of your soul. Now let me share something with you. Here's what you can do. You can run from this. You can hide from this. You can act like it doesn't matter. But God knows our hearts, you will never be able to hide from God. He knows our hearts. That's what he says. He says, the pure in heart, for they will see God. If you want to see God, you must be pure in the depth of your soul. Then it says, the peacemakers are blessed. St. Augustine, one commentator said, wrote that the peacemakers are not only peaceful, but that they are active makers of peace. They encourage peace around them by healing. People have been alienated and discord and bringing about reconciliation. But this peace begins within them as they conform themselves to the image of God. And then that peace generates and diffuses itself among the body of Christ and into the world. It starts with us. We are transformed by the way, the way that the word is used, it's literally used in a militant kind of form. We are transformed. Why? Because we are transformed to be what? To be peacemakers in his image. You know, the word for peacemaker is only used twice in the New Testament. Let's think about this for a minute. Jesus laid down his life to make peace between God and sinners. And when we can carry that message of peace to others and live it out ourselves, we too become peacemakers. 
God delights in those who reconciles others to himself and those who bring the gospel are beautiful, the scripture says. God loves reconciliation. Look at me, church. Where there is no peace, there will be no God. Where there is no reconciliation, you will always have, both in the body of Christ and in the world, you will have people running around, playing their parts, destroying the body of Christ because that's what happens when we are not peacemakers. Come on. We're all supposed to be peacemakers because Jesus made peace between us and the Father through dying for our sins. He too desires for us to let that drive who we are. Peacemakers. Come on. I don't know about you. It's kind of hard to be peacemakers sometimes, isn't it? We don't like change, do we? Do you know this week that, 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 that uh, uh, you know, um, Apple did an update on my phone and didn't ask me? And I don't like the update they did. Fred, I don't like it at all. But, you know, I got to playing with it. Y'all, maybe y'all got an iPhone. You're talking about that. You've seen that? And then I got to look at all the new emojis they have. And I'm going, I kind of like this. I'm sitting there playing with it yesterday going, this is a good update. I was mad because, you know why? Because I was used to the old way. But somebody, somewhere, said, this is better. Go with it. They knew some old geezers like me would get all ticked off. Because, I mean, come on, I don't know half what this thing does. I have to give it to Zach and those guys and figure it out. You know, I forgot, I have forgotten my, I, my, uh, my uh, passcode to get on your apps I've passed it, I've forgotten it a hundred times. We have, re, we read it, my, I, so much so, my daughter carries it on her phone so I can call her and she can tell you what it is. That's how much technology I know. I was used to the old way. But do you know now I can send stuff quicker? I can bring other people in. I can do other things with this thing I could never do before. And you know what? I found out yesterday, it's actually better. Sometimes change needs to happen. How many of us are slow to want to see change? Yeah, me too. Peacemakers are people that navigate through life accepting change and still keep everything going by pulling people together. It is not, it goes back to that moment a minute ago. If our motives are to get our way in life and get what we want, we will always manipulate. And that's not what it's saying. He's saying peacemakers are people who genuinely have the right motives and want God to be glorified. And and we move in any direction at all. We move in the direction of God. And whatever change brings our way, we live through it. Come on, let me ask you something. How many of y'all are summer people? Fall people? Spring people? Winter people? There ain't no winter people. Are you kidding me? Are you There are actually winter people here? Dear Lord, please help them right now. Bring them around, God. 
I'm serious. Winter people, really? I mean, gosh, the only thing about winter that's good is when the snow happens. I get out in my Jeep, you know what I mean? That's it. Let me say this to you. How many of us are over 25? Let's be honest. That means that we have at least lived 25 years where seasons have changed. And we've accepted it. We've adapted. We put on more clothes. You know, we, we turn the heat up. We turn the heat down. We, we adjust, right? How many of y'all in the middle right now of pulling your sweaters out because you really don't know what to do, but you know it's coming because fall's here? You know what I'm saying? Peacemakers can, that's what the word idea literally means, can navigate through all of this and changes and stuff that takes place and realize that that's just what it is. Churches, that don't understand how to navigate and change, people that don't understand how to navigate and change, situations that happen literally brings us to a place where it destroys the body of Christ. It's truth. Peacemakers, all of us, every one of us. And then finally, he gets to the last part of this, and he says something that I, I think it kind of blows me away. He says, those who are persecuted for righteousness are blessed. For the kingdom of heaven is theirs, is what it says. He says, for you are blessed when you insult, you are insulted, you're persecuted, and they falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven. For that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I was reading something when I was studying through this. I'm going to read this. and Guys, I don't get off on the Greek too much, but I'm going to say this to you. Here's what that phrase when it says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Here's what it means. In the Greek text, theirs is shifted from its normal position at the end of the clause to the beginning instead. Here's what it means in the Greek. It gives the pronoun a special emphasis indicating that the kingdom belongs to the righteous sufferers and to them alone. Those who always endeavor to evade persecution or seek their way are not true disciples and will not have a share in the kingdom because true disciples follow Jesus even at the cost of their lives. I could stop right there. I read that this week. I became so convicted. I thought to myself, when it says theirs, am I part of that theirs? Am I willing to die for the greater good of Christ? Or do I just want my way? Is ministry just about keeping the peace? And I heard... Jennifer Rothschild one time sang a song and she said, peace is not the absence of conflict. Peace only happens through the presence of God. Have you noticed the progression that starts from the beginning? That we have to be poor because we have to recognize that we're desolate and mourn and the ending is the ultimate place where we learn to die for ourselves. What did Jesus first say when he started his ministry? He said, when a man gives up his life, he will what? Gain it. We learn to die, then we learn to what? Live. Look at me, church, and listen to me carefully. 
I want you to hear what I'm saying here. What he is saying to us as his body. And I'm going to say this right now. Satan will do everything he can to fight this moment where we don't get this. You want to know why our nation is where it is? You know why the church, church is messed up the way it is? You want to know why we're not seeing the gospel proclaimed? All? You know why all that? Satan is fighting against us. Because we have become people of comfort and complacency. We want our way when we can get it, even when we know it destroys God's way. And I know, guys, I'm going to tell you a lot of pastors today don't preach hard or don't say things like this because they know some people won't come back. But you know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches that it's not about the crowds, it's about the commitment. He'd rather, God would rather have three, 300 men who are willing to pour themselves out. Remember that in the Old Testament? Then 3,000 who are just kind of showing up. Ultimately, guys, it's about whether or not we're willing to give ourselves up for the glory of God. This church is here to reach people in this community. Bottom line. Enough said. That's why this church exists. It's a place to equip and encourage the body of Christ that they can do the work of ministry. Enough said. Jesus was bringing the disciples to a place and the people who were listening to a place of saying, if you really want to know what I'm looking for, I'm looking for a few good men and women who are willing to die. And I'll teach them how to live. Because until we're willing to die to those habits and those things that hold on to us and continue to rob our joy and our energy from us, as long as we continue to practice religion over relationship, as long as we just play games with God, it will destroy us and it will destroy the kingdom of God. He is saying to them, blessed are those who are persecuted. Because as you're persecuted, my name is proclaimed. Do you know the dirty little secret that Satan never figured out? If you look at the history of the church, when they were persecuted and God's people were willing to step forward and speak truth into the lives of people, even because some of you won't speak lies, some of us won't speak lies. Into people. I have my kids all the time say, I'm afraid my friends won't like me anymore. Well, if your friends don't like you because you tell them the truth, they probably weren't your friends in the first place. It's the truth. We need to understand this. We are his hands and feet. The point of the Beatitudes is he is saying, you are already blessed. I've already given this to you. Do it. Go. And the purpose of this body is to love and hold each other's arms up. And to, to be a, a hospital that when we are beat up, that we can go to and be built up and know that what we're doing matters. That's what it's about. Those kids in vacation Bible school, from families all over the community, many of them hurting like crazy, and you hurt with them. The point of the body is to lift us up and say, it is worth it. 
It's worth weeping over those kids. It's worth seeing the working with these families. It's worth the discouragement sometimes that happens. It's worth everything if the kingdom of God is advanced. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, if you want to follow me, follow or get out of the way. That's literally what he says to Scripture. He says, come on, if you follow me. What's the first thing he said to the disciples? Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Because we have created this kind of Americanized Christianity that requires no following, no submission, no nothing except church attendance. And the Beatitudes teach is totally the opposite. And I'm asking you as your interim pastor to ask God what he wants to do in you. No playing games. What does he want to do through you and your family? What is he saying to you? If you don't know how to share your faith, I'll teach you. If you don't know how to deal with the situation, I'll help you. That's what we're here for. But he is saying, blessed are we. Now do it. Go for it. Come on, guys. I don't know about you. I enjoy my tennis shoes a lot more than I do my work boots. But when I wear my, wear my work boots, my tennis shoes, as I did a few weeks ago, I have to do work, but not my work boots. My tennis shoes get all muddy, my feet get all wet, and I get chiggers all over me. But my, listen, my, my tennis shoes are more comfortable than my work boots. God didn't call us to comfort. He called us to get busy, to follow him and to die to ourselves. It's time we put on our work boots, our spiritual work boots, and go. Be a part of what God wants us to be. And we'll be peacemakers, to be merciful, to be willing to be persecuted if that's what it takes. You know something, guys? I respect people whose opinions I don't even agree with if they're willing to at least get in the game and give it a shot. You know who I don't respect? Are people who sit back on the side, criticizing everything, but say nothing. And we've made a religion out of that. The attitudes are there to teach us who he is. Do you understand what I'm saying, guys? So I'm going to ask you right now, just to bow your heads right where you are. We'll get ready for our invitation time if we can, guys. And first of all, I want to say this to you. I know this is hard to hear sometimes. I know that. But truth sometimes is hard to hear. I want to ask you, what is God speaking to your heart? What part of your life needs to die that he may live in you? What part of our actions, what, I opened it up today by talking about prayer. Do we have any unholy habits? Is there any sin that's wreaking our life? Are we willing to trust the Holy Spirit? Are we willing to proclaim him publicly? And if we're not, what's keeping us from that? Why would we rather hold on to that very thing than in the end will destroy us, destroy our lives, destroy our relationships? 
than simply let God have it, take it away, and then bring healing about. That's the deception of Satan. He's saying, you're blessed because you're doing these things. You're blessed because I've empowered you to do these things. You're blessed because you have identified with me. You mourn over your sin. You're peacemakers. You're joyful. You represent me. I will rip away, he says, all the other stuff, and I will shine through you. Let your light shine. Right now, if there's anyone here who's never received Christ, your personal Savior, I want to ask you to come this morning. Just step out and come and just say, you know what? I don't know if I died right now if I go to heaven. Others of you have been visiting the church for a long time. It's time to get off the fence and simply just say, I'd like to join the church and be a part of what's going on there. Because guys, trust me, God's doing great things to this church. You're amazing people. And he wants to do even greater things in the days to come. If he's moving in your heart to become part of this body, I invite you to come. For those of us who are Christians... If we are convicted in our soul because we know that we're not really willing to be persecuted. We're not willing to love God that much. And that's the way it has to be put. We're not willing to put our needs and everything else out of sight so that God can live through us. Now we can ignore it, we can run from it, but you can't run. It doesn't matter how old or young we are. What is God saying to each of us? And how should we respond to that? Father, in Jesus' name, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would lead.